Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories of encounters with God. I'm your host, Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie. And today we have a special guest in the studio. We are so excited. We have Tara Collins, who is here from Never Thirst. Yay! Yay! <laughs> and y'all hear us talk about Never Thirst every week and how we love what they do and we love their mission. And today we actually are going to tell you a lot more about it. And so we're really excited. So Tara is going to jump in and tell you about a campaign that we're going to start for the next few weeks. And then we'll jump into today's story. Yes. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so I just want to kick off with how also grateful we are to partner with storytellers and just thankful for the opportunity to share about Never Thirst and the needs we see around the world. So we're really excited to team up with the storytellers community to fund a well in Cambodia this fall. So, <laughs> so in Cambodia, particularly, um, we work in really isolated rural areas that lack access to clean water. So about 3.3 million people, I believe, um, lack access to clean water. And so when you um, partner alongside us, you get to come alongside these women and families in these rural communities who don't have clean water, and you get to partner with our uh, local pastors who go in and just show them that they are seen, they are heard, and get their needs met and show them the love of God. So with that, we're going to um, rally the storytellers community to partner to fund One Well in Cambodia this fall, and this will give about 20 to 25 families access to clean water. We are so excited to partner about this. Storytellers is going to build a well. We are calling this the Cambodia Campaign in our Storytellers Live community. This is our chance to rally together and give to Never Thirst. That's right. And what's so exciting is today we also have Amanda sharing her story, who is actually an on-the-grounds employee of Never Thirst. We're just so excited that Amanda is sharing her story. It has so many layers to it of how she has um, been in the mission field. But what I love about her story is she's going to really let you know what Never Thirst does. And, and this concept, as Tara said, of partnering with the community and bringing them, yes, of course, water, but living water. And I love how you're going to hear that not all of us are called to go um, overseas, and that's okay, but all of us are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, which is what we titled um, her story. And we can be the hands and feet of Jesus through prayer, but through giving uh, money towards this well. Um, we're so excited about partnering with you guys. And I, we just want to tell you a little bit about Amanda. When I met with her via Zoom, because she's in Chad, Africa, I felt very fancy <laughs> Zooming with someone in Africa. Um, but also, the more we talked, I was like, I, as soon as this world opens up again, I am coming to visit. I'm doing a Never Thirst trip. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm doing. And maybe I go see our storytellers well, because how amazing would that oh, be? Wow, yeah. um, so I do real quick want to challenge all of you uh, in this because we can't wait to see how you, our storytellers people, show up. So as you listen to Amanda's story, one other thing we want you to know is that as we recorded, she got malaria and she was so sick and I checked on her every day. <laughs> I kept sending her texts. And so we, we recorded her story. She got sick and then we went back when she was feeling better and did a few more questions and answers. And so thankfully she is much, much better. But yes, I fell in love with her. And now I said, I feel like her mom, I need to just take care of her and make sure she has all of her medicines and, and she's taking care of herself. <laughs> Before we get into Amanda's story today, we're going to let Tara tell you a little bit more about her. 
Yeah. So one of the things I love about Amanda is she is incredibly gifted at connecting cross-culturally with other people. Part of that is because she speaks many languages like French, Arabic, Mandarin, Indonesian, and probably others uh, that she's too humble to brag on herself about. But also living in Chad and around the world for many years, she has just a beautiful perspective as she's seen conflict and hardship that we often just don't experience in the States, as well as God's provision and just clear hand at work in really remote parts of the world. So I hope you're encouraged today by her story. We're incredibly grateful for her and her role at Neverthers and how she really is the hands and feet of our ministry. So here's Amanda. My name is Amanda Stillman. I am the Africa Programs Director for Neverthirst. I am based in Chad, which is a country in Central Africa, and one of our big Neverthirst Africa programs. And just going to tell you a little bit about my story and how God has woven his plan through my life in spite of myself using circumstances and other people and his own perfect will to get me to where I am today. And it hasn't always been easy, and it's not easy currently, but I know that I can look back and see the thread of his leading to where I am today. And I know it's kind of a different story. It's not really typical of most people, but it's my story, and I'm thankful for it. And I hope that even in the differences, it can show the similarities and how God's hand works um, and he guides us and he leads us where he wants us to be, no matter what that looks like. So for me, I grew up uh, in Southeast Asia. My parents were working over there and I was very happy to grow up overseas. I loved traveling and different cultures and different languages from a young age. I always felt like um, I could be more myself wherever, whenever I was the foreigner rather than when I was in the U.S., which is my passport country. Doesn't The U.S. doesn't really feel like home to me, and yet there are many parts of my life where I can see well, the American culture is strong in me um, in spite of the fact that I didn't grow up here. But it's always going to be a part of me, um, just as all the other places I've lived and loved are also a part of me. That's why we call ourselves TCKs, third culture kids. We have a culture that's different from the culture we grew up in and different from the culture of our parents, but it's our own. So we can recognize each other even if we grew up in Africa or Asia or wherever. So for me, I, I love the freedom of being a foreigner in another place where I could do whatever I wanted and people would just be like, oh, you know, whatever, she's a foreigner. Versus going back to the States and feeling like the outsider where I look like I should fit in and then I would do something stupid and people would be surprised at why I didn't know how to, to do something so commonplace that everyone else who is American should know how to do, but I didn't know. So there was something I think that I loved in the freedom of being able to be different and not be judged for that that I got growing up overseas. And then there's just the fact that I love, I love the adventure of being somewhere different, learning a new culture, a new language, how things work in a new place. Uh, I've always loved that since I was a kid, and I still love that today. Uh, I became a believer um, when I was a small child. I don't really remember too much about it, if I'm being honest. It was uh, my parents were working at the time in in El Paso, Texas. My dad is an artist and he was 
the art director for the Spanish Baptist Publishing House. So we were based there and we would t- attended a little church um, that was in Spanish. And I was in children's church and there was a sermon about hell and scared me, um, which I think it is scary. And uh, I decided I needed Jesus to save me. So I went up and I was later baptized. And after speaking with the pastor and and my parents and others and making sure that they really believed I understood what I w- the decision that I was making. So um, my spiritual life began early. My walk and, and with Jesus began early, but it's always, it always seemed like, oh, I wasn't doing enough or it wasn't very as real for me or I had to prove it in some way. And I always felt sort of um, nervous that I hadn't really done everything right that I should have done. Uh, and you hear a lot of sermons growing up, and I think one of the real common ones that I heard, maybe because I grew up overseas and uh, hearing different calls to go out and serve the Lord with your life or whatever, or maybe it was just because that was like the cool thing to sermonize about at the time. (laughs) I don't know. It seems like we've got phases like that sometimes in the church. And everyone was always talking about your comfort zone and how God's going to call you out of your comfort zone. Like he called Jonah to go to Nineveh or, you know, Paul to get up and go share the gospel around the, the known world at the time. And, you know, so there's always these, these um, sermons about getting up and going and leaving your comfort zone. And I was very sure <laughs> from a young age that my comfort zone was what most people were being called out of their comfort zones to do. That's very confusing. So I'll explain. I always loved being overseas. I loved working cross-culturally. I loved being in the difficult places, the hard places. So that was actually my comfort zone. So people who were being called out of their comfortable life in the U.S. to go live in a country where they don't have electricity all the time or running water or, you know, there's a chance of being in a war, all of those things, people were being called out of their lives, their comfort zones to be brave and go do that and serve the Lord. Whereas for me, I was already in that world and that was the world I really desperately wanted to stay in. And I was terrified that God was gonna call me to live in the States and be like a suburban housewife or something. (laughs) Um, And that was kind of my, my big fear. And I had this idea that, you know, God's always calling people out of your comfort zone. He just wants you to, to show him how strong you can be and how much you, you're going to serve him even when it's not fun for you. And I had this idea that that was like God was just going to make me do something I hated just to prove how, how much I loved him or to grow in my faith or whatever. So I had a lot of, went through a lot of wrestling with him on that. But as I was just living my life and, and praying, you know, follow the Lord, wherever he wants me to and praying, and, and walking through the doors that he opened for me, it didn't really lead me to the States, actually. It led me initially to university in the States because my parents are American and I am American. And so we, I was able to get scholarships for university. Um, and I ended up university in the U.S. And I was just deep in culture shock. I didn't really know how to relate to Americans very well. I felt very out of place. I felt like um, everyone was watching me, though I'm sure... Probably most people weren't, but I did grow up in a place where people did watch me. We actually had people, you know, come press their faces against the, our window 
uh, that the little children in our neighborhood would often come press their faces against our window just to see what the foreigners were doing. And, and so I always felt like I was on display even when I wasn't. So going to the States and feeling so out of it, and I was definitely, you know, nothing novel in the States, and I don't think people were actually like watching me or seeing what I was doing, but uh, I felt like I was on display, and I knew I was doing things wrong, and I knew I wasn't comfortable, and I knew I just didn't know how to relate to these people who are around me. I didn't understand the jokes or the culture or whatever, and I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be back in Asia or wherever on the next adventure. Um, and I'm naturally fairly introverted and I like my own company and I like to be, you know, do my own thing. And so I, I think I withdrew a lot from people, but there was, uh, a woman, the intern at the time at the, um, Baptist student union who came after me and she told me, she's like, Amanda, I'm going to be your friend. And I was like, okay, weirdo. Um, all right, whatever. And she just came after me and said, let's, let's be friends. And she had just met a refugee woman in the supermarket there and had found, asked this woman, you know, about her life and what's going on and how she could help the refugee community in the town where we were living. And this woman was from Sudan and she told my friend that the children need help with their homework because when refugees are resettled in the U.S., they're put into the school systems and their families are, you know, help. They help their parents to get jobs and different things like that. And, and the children are put in the school system and they're put in based on age and not based on any prior schooling. And most of these children hadn't had much school, if any, before arriving um, in our town and before being integrated into the school systems there. So their parents didn't speak English and couldn't help them. And the children didn't really know about studying or homework, or anything like this. And so um, we, we went, um, my friend decided she would start an after-school program for these kids and do tutoring and help with their homework and stuff. And she invited me to come. And I did. And immediately I, I felt like, okay, this is my place. <laughs> these are people I understood, people who had been removed from their home countries and we're in a place where they're trying to figure things out and don't really know what's going on all the time. But I was with people who I could help with the knowledge that I had. And I understood a lot of where they're coming from. I understood what it was like to be the outsider trying to figure out what's going on. I just felt such a connection with them. And so I just, that was my main outlet while I was at university was helping this the refugee community and I hung out with them on weekends and drove them around to um to do shopping or go to doctor's appointments um they invited me for dinner and made different uh special food for me for me from their countries and and it was just really special and it was during that time when I think God started to get a hold of my heart and make the change from my interest in sort of intelligence and secular government work in the international realm, moving towards humanitarian work. So uh, after university, I was interviewed by a couple of intelligence agencies and they kind of, one of them said to me, so um, we think you'd be really good at this. But you are young, and we want someone who's willing to really commit and make this a lifetime commitment to this kind of a job. Like, would you be interested in that? <laughs> I'm just saying commitment is sort of the wrong thing to say to someone who's 
has a deep love of bouncing around the world and can't even commit to a country she wants to live in, much less a job for the rest of her life. And so that was pretty much it for me and the intelligence world. And my sister was working in the Middle East at the time and uh, invited me to come and live with her and teach English. And so I did. So at that point, I spent a year sort of bouncing around the world. And I was in the Middle East for a bit. And then I went to Indonesia uh, and did some reconstruction work, agriculture projects with an Indonesian NGO um, after there was the year after the tsunami. And so I got to help out there. And uh, Indonesia is actually the country where I grew up in Asia. And so I speak the language and it was really cool to hang out with Indonesians who were working to help their own country. And they're working to help in a different, um, in a different island from where most of them were from or a different culture. And, but they had come bring their skills to help out other people in their country. And I got to join in with them. I really enjoyed that. Uh, and then I went on to China to teach English because uh, I had studied Chinese at university and my professor was able to hook me up with a job teaching English at a high school. Um, and because English wasn't super exciting thing for me to be teaching, and also I'm not really the greatest teacher, I did a lot of um, watching movies with the kids, which they loved, and uh, was really minimal work for me. So um, probably shouldn't hire me to be an English teacher. But anyway, um, I, I told the teachers, one of the teachers there, that I wanted to do some volunteer work while I was in China. And she said, okay, well, let me talk to this other former teacher who uh, often does volunteer work and she can help figure it out. So they took me around a few different places and ended up taking me to this orphanage where I was able to um, volunteer at this orphanage. And she said, you just have to join our organization and, um, you know, then you can work here because there had been some journalists working undercover who had exposed just the really horrible conditions in Chinese government or orphanages. Um, and this one, I won't say that I didn't see anything horrible there. It's just an institution, you know, and there's not a lot of love and there's not a lot of care that goes into institutional work. So I just wanted to go in and hang out with these kids and play and um, just love on them for a bit while I was there. So I told the lady, sure, sure, I'll join, whatever. Um, and so I show up. Uh, for the first day that I thought I was just going to be hanging out with kids and I was like wearing all my grungy clothes and my hair's up and I'm all sweaty because I've already been playing with the kids for a while and all of a sudden there's all these TV cameras around me and they're filming me and like, oh, foreign, foreign lady, why do you want to come help at this orphanage? And I was just like, oh, you know, I just like to help people. Uh, I follow Jesus and, you know, he, um, he like, he always talked about helping the poor and helping children. And so I just want to help out, you know, I'm pretty sure that got cut from their, um, program, but then they did this sort of little ceremony where I signed the book and they handed me this little red vest and said, okay, now you're part of our organization. And, um, so I took the little book home with me and I didn't recognize all the characters that I'm not that great in Chinese, but I was better then. <laughs> but I had to look up some of these characters to figure out what is the name of this organization that I had just joined. Um, and I realized that uh, that was when I realized that I had joined the uh, Communist Party in China by accident so that I could work at this orphanage. So now the intelligence service is probably never going to take me. So I have effectively severed those ties, but <laughs> it did allow me to work in this orphanage. And that was such a blessing for me. 
uh, to be able to love on these kids that no one really cared about. And it was also a real heart-wrenching thing because, as usual in my life, I didn't stay too long. And when I was leaving, I had to say goodbye to these children. And it was just really devastating to know that, you know, I had been love and light for them. And what was God? How was God going to come in and take care of them without me? I was really special because... After I had left, I was in Hong Kong at a church, and I was in China just across the border from Hong Kong. And this church in Hong Kong had just started volunteering at that same orphanage, and I was able to see that God had provided love and and light and presence for these children that I cared about so much, and that His church was still going to take up that role in loving these these children. So that was really cool to see God do that. Yeah, after Hong Kong, I went back to the States and I had that sort of year of wandering around the world and I get back in and helpful passport control guy says to me, so you're wandering around the world searching for meaning, were you? And I was like, "Uh, thanks for your commentary on my life, Mr. Passport Control Agent guy. But I had sort of been through thinking through a lot of things I had finished university and I was looking into what was next and what I want to do with my life and I'd sort of changed away from wanting to go into intelligence or foreign service kind of uh, more wanting to go into the humanitarian development world and at that point I really felt like okay I had really been against wanting to be on the mission field Um, I just didn't really I guess it was kind of a little rebellion as a child of missionaries, not wanting to go back and do exactly the same thing. But I had felt like the Lord leading me to say yes to a two-year program, which got uh, with the International Mission Board. And I was there for um, a couple years. And I went in working with an NGO that was focused on helping in the Palestinian refugee camps. And so while I was there as a missionary, but also my intent was really to be doing this NGO work, I realized that I didn't really know what I was doing. And a lot of times I think people jump into the NGO world thinking, oh, it's easy. You're just helping people. How hard can it be? And I spent a couple of years in the Middle East Uh, which I loved. I had a wonderful time there. I learned Arabic. I made a lot of wonderful friends and was really welcomed by the people there. But I also realized how little I knew and how much more I needed in order to be really effective in humanitarian and development. And so after those two years, I went back to the States and I went to grad school and I got my master's in development and relief. And part of that project, that part of that project, so part of that program, the end of the program was you had to have an internship somewhere. So the internship I managed to get was in Yemen, working in a Somali refugee camp in southern Yemen. And I worked there for a year and I loved it also. Um, I lived with a Sudanese girl who was also working it, with that NGO. I spent most of my weekend, most of my week, every other weekend in the refugee camp in the middle of the desert in Yemen, working with Somalis and um, running uh, different programs in the camp to help people. 
So that was a real blessing to me to have that internship. And also I learned a lot through it um, about the NGO world, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's different being in a secular kind of NGO world where you're just working for the physical good of people and you know that you can help people physically for a little while and but ultimately I was working in a more secular situation and our goal was just to improve the quality of life of people in the refugee camps so the projects were intended to help people to help people just in their basic lives to have better access to economic uh, opportunities, to have better access to nutrition and education. And those were projects that I was working on. And I knew that those were help, will help people and would help, they were helpful projects. They were good projects. They will help people in the short term, but what about eternity? And you look at people in the States who have all that they need, water and education and food and opportunities and they're still miserable so you can and I've seen people living in refugee camps with nothing who can still be thankful for what they have and can still trust that the Lord has a plan for them and and is going to take care of them through the difficulties so for me I think that was a huge eye-opener and what good does development do and I fully believe that it is important for us as God's people, as the church, we have to be the hands and feet of the Lord. And Jesus always was healing the sick and serving the poor, as well as sharing the gospel of the hope and the good news that, of what God was doing. So I feel like those are both important things to do. And for me, they're both an important part of my life. And I wouldn't say I would never work with a secular NGO ever again, but it was also kind of sad just to see the difference and what people there, my colleagues and coworkers, like they would work their whole week really hard doing these really good projects. And then on the weekends, they would just go out and party hard because it, that was it for them, you know? And going back to the States and I was job hunting and a friend of mine who was kind of, uh, he, he was for Christian NGOs, um, a job application for an organization doing NGO work and uh, around the world who were specifically looking for uh, someone like an MK, a missionary kid like me who been in a lot of places, spoke several of the languages that I spoke. And so I, I said, yeah, that looks pretty good, but it's like based in California. And, and he said, oh, well, that's great. I have this other organization, a new organization called Never Thirst, and they're looking for someone for their India programs. And so he hooked me up with the director of Never Thirst at the time, who came to meet me and we had an interview. And then I was hired to work on their projects in India. And that was the start of my work with Never Thirst. And it's been a wild ride. <laughs> I've been in India, in Sudan, South Sudan, Uganda, now Chad, lots of places, lots of experiences. I've seen the Lord work in so many ways. And it's really exciting to be able to work not just for clean water, which I know literally saves physical lives, but also to partner with local churches and local pastors working around the world in their own countries to also share the living water 
you know, the water that when you drink this, you will thirst no more. And it's just encouraging to know that what I'm doing isn't a temporary fix. You know, it's offering eternal life along with physical life. And you're not going to care very much about eternal life. Let's be honest, if you're spending your entire physical life just trying to survive. But having someone show the love of God in a clear way by helping with your basic needs, by also sharing that the Lord loves you and it, he's the one who's doing this, I think that's what's been such an exciting part about working with Never Thirst. And I also, I love that we're not just a bunch of white people coming in and saying, here, we're going to do this. You know, we're working in partnership with locals. Um, that's been really important to me, having grown up overseas and having, I know that in my own heart, sometimes I can be inclined to that whole uh, white savior complex where you think you got to go in and fix everything because nobody else knows anything. And and it's so wrong. I've learned so much and I've been so blessed by the people I've had around me. And I really appreciate Never Thirst model because it opens up that partnership between both of us. We have something that the Lord has given us here in the West. I say this from Africa, but whatever. Um, we have resources available to us that people here do not have. And they have knowledge and they have experiences and they have capacity that we do not have and access to places that we do not have and knowledge about where the greatest need is that we do not have. So we need each other. And a lot of what I can do in my role with Never Thirst is be that bridge. Tell the stories like what you guys do. Tell the stories from the other side to the other side. So, I mean, I talk to people here about what people in the States are doing, giving, sacrificing in order to bring water to people here. And that means so much to them because they also know the need over here. And then I can tell people in the States what God is doing through the projects that they're helping to sponsor over here in Africa and before when I was in India. And I've seen the Lord do so many things. I've seen people amazed saying, wow, there's power in the name of Jesus. When we get a well with high yield water after drilling a dry borehole that they had um, brought their witch doctors to pray over and we didn't know about. <laughs> you know, So the second attempt, we pray over it and we, our pastor, not me, um, the past, our local pastor prayed over it. And we got the highest steel borehole that we ever have this year in the, in the country. And it's amazing because they had tried so many times that, and I didn't know this before, they had tried many times to get water and they had failed every time. And that's why they had gone out of their way to, to make sure it was going to work this time. They spent a lot of money bringing in their witch doctors and, and stuff to, to bless the area. And it completely failed. But then now they've been able to see, as we tried again, um, using resources from gracious people in the States, because it's expensive to drill wells. We can't do it without the resources that people in more developed countries have been giving us. So now this village has seen the power of, of, of Jesus through these prayers. And I've seen other villages where people said, you know, we felt like we were forgotten, like nobody cared about us. We don't have water. We have nothing. And then 
you guys heard about us. You came and you brought your water here and we know that we're not forgotten. And now we have water and now we can see the love of the Lord. And it's just, you know, it's a different, a different dynamic, different cultural backgrounds. Those are stories from two different countries, but I've heard them over and over similar ones in different places. So I know that this is, these are opening doors for people to have access to living water that will save their eternal lives. I just wanted to encourage you that God has a story for you and it's probably not going to look like mine. So you can take a breath. Although I sometimes I'm really shocked that people are not desperately wanting to live this crazy adventure life that I live. Um, but I often get people telling me I could never do what you do. And I think, oh, well, I would never want to do what you do either. So it all works out. I realize that my story is unique because people tell me that. It doesn't seem that strange to me because it's mine. But I know that it's not a very common story. And I've taken a path that not many people take. But in another way, I, I'm just following the path that God's put in front of me. And he puts a path in front of everyone. And he gives you opportunities no matter where you are. He opens doors and he puts people on your heart. And he wants to use you where you are. And that's what I had to learn my own self as I was so terrified that God's going to make me do something I hated. And I think, you know, sometimes God does that. But I think that's more rare than we think. I think God puts you in a place where he wants you and he's going to use you if you are looking for it. Are you genuinely wanting the Lord to use you wherever you are? You don't have to move to Africa and do water projects. You probably shouldn't. Like I said, <laughs> we don't need a lot of white people out here telling people to do stuff that they're already doing. You know, I am really blessed to be able to have this job. I love it. And I'm thankful that I can live out here and be that bridge. But, you know, you don't need a thousand bridges, but you do need thousand million prayer warriors. And I will take all of the prayer support I can get. And I know Never Thirst will take all the prayer support it can get, we can get. That's something anybody can do from anywhere, which is sort of the beauty of prayer. And it might seem like you're not doing anything. And maybe the Lord's calling you to get involved in helping bring clean water and, and living water to people around the world. And maybe you want to get involved with Never Thirst and do a fundraiser in your own church or a lemonade stand with your kids or something like that. Those are all great things. And maybe that's what the Lord's calling you to do. And Never Thirst would be really excited to have your partnership. But maybe the Lord's calling you to work with at-risk youth. Or maybe the Lord's calling you to work with immigrants or disabled people or children or the elderly. There's just, there's so many needs around us. And you don't really even have to open your eyes that wide to see it. I think God puts those people around us and we, as the church, we are the hands and feet of the Lord. Well, 
what did you think of Amanda's story? (laughs) It's so different from any other story we have. And I love that. I love just hearing different lives of people who live in other places and different perspectives. And, you know, before we get any farther, we want to address NGO. She uses that a lot. I kept thinking, what is that? What is she saying? (laughs) What we want you to know is it's NGO and it stands for non-governmental organization. So it's people who bring aid relief Mm -hmm. to to countries in need, but not through the government. Right. One of the things that was just amazing to me about her story is just all of the different places she's lived and the things she's done and what she's experienced. And she's so young and she speaks all these languages. <laughs> and um, and I, drive I, I mean, yes. And I don't know if it, I mean, it did, you know, when I heard her speak, I thought, gosh, I'm not doing enough. And I started to get into a works mentality. And I do think a lot of us view, you know, mission work, you know, out in the, the, the fields of Africa, or, you know, that you, if you're not, overseas, you're not doing anything for God. And I loved how she was so sweet to tie it back to, hey, guess what? Not everybody's called to go to Africa. And you probably don't need to because we don't need a lot of white people in Africa with us. And and I loved how she just said, you know, you could you're called to be where you are. Mm -hmm. And so that was an encouragement to me of that I have a mission field right in front of my feet every single day, wherever I am. Yeah, we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I hope that that encouraged you today listening is that you have a mission field to be the hands and feet of Jesus right where you are. And that too, to tie it back in early in her earlier in her story. When she was afraid that God was going to call her out of her comfort zone. As <laughs> Please a don't make me a suburban housewife. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You know, and for her, that's just, I, I love how God creates us all so differently. Mm-hmm. That her call for her was to live this radical life all over yeah. the world. And for her to be sent back to the United States and to live our a, life. To live our life. <laughs> It was being called out of her comfort zone and felt like a punishment, you know, and obviously she went through the fact that she learned that that is not a, in fact, God does not punish us. He does not call us out of our comfort zone like that. Right. um, But at the same time, the irony of we sit on a pew a lot of times and say, oh, Lord, I want more of you, but just don't send me to Africa. Lindy Walker does not want to go to Africa. Y'all know this about me. I'm not going. So, I mean, it's just... So yeah, we're all going to go on a never thirst trip to go right. see our well that we build, and Lindy's right. not going. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope that that does give you some encouragement in that each of us are gifted in specific ways. God's word tells us that, that we are each gifted in a a specific way in order to serve the body of Christ. And we're not all called to go overseas. We're not all called to be suburban housewives. (laughs) We're all called specifically and uniquely for him. And so I hope that encourages you today. Well, we hope that Amanda's story made you so excited about Never Thirst and the opportunity to build a storyteller's well in Cambodia. Here's how you can do it. Yeah, so we're really excited to partner with you guys, the storytellers community. So we encourage you to go to neverthirstwater.org slash storytellers today. With every $50 gift towards the well, you'll get a limited edition t-shirt with storytellers. So join us today, be a part of this work, and you'll be a part of shaping and changing women's lives in really remote communities. So thanks for listening today, and we cannot wait to see how you, our community, steps up to partner with Never Thirst and with God to change women's lives and bring clean water. Have a great week, and we will talk to you next week.